Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I want to start out by just some personal testimony. I was, in 1983, born into a very Christian family. And I mean very Christian, not in just their commitment, but all my extended family. I mean, for the most part, I have multiple pastors who are uncles. My dad was a traveling musician. Anybody ever hear the gospel airs? Southern gospel was my jam. Well, it was my dad's jam. Therefore, it was my jam for the first 12 to 13 years of my life. I have since tried to teach my kids the way they aren't having it. They're not having it in the Southern gospel. But I grew up in uh, a denomination that we're still a part of as King's Church called the Wesleyan Church. It's a, it's a, d- a Christian denomination, and many of you don't even know that you're part of this church. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we're actually part of the Wesleyan Church. It's a denomination that I've been part of my whole life. I have uncles who are pastors in it. Uh, my grandfather was a denominational leader in it. I mean, I'm steeped in church. And although this was never taught to me, it was caught over time that when I was a kid and even as in my teen years... I was under the assumption that we Wesleyans held the corner on the church. Some of you are laughing, but I think more of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That we had this assumption that our way of faith was the right way. And all those other crazy cousins that are part of the family of God, we're not even so sure they're okay. Like the Baptists are stuffy and they're Calvinists and they're uptight. And they believe that, you know, once saved, always saved. So are they even saved? I don't even know. They don't take, they don't take what we take seriously. So, and the Pentecostals, they're crazy and wild and talking gibberish. And we don't know if they can be trusted. And then, you know, Anglicans and Catholics, they, they wear weird stuff and do the smoke thing. And are they even Christians? I don't know. Right? And I kind of grew up with that. I'm, I'm, I'm being... It's funny, but I'm not. I kind of grew up with this assumption. Again, it was never explicitly taught to me. The church never came around and said, don't associate with those people. But this was something that was kind of caught. So anybody here at the Valley, maybe online, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you grew up in the church, you might have had a lane, a stream that you operated in, that you were under the assumption that this is really the way, walk in it, and everybody else needs to kind of get on board. Does anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, I went on a journey in my life, especially it kind of kicked into high gear when the Lord called me into ministry of God showing me that the church is not just a bunch of fractured parts trying to get along, but it really is just one church and it really is just one stream. And God began to break down walls and barriers in my mind and in my life. It began really when I went to Bible college and began to start studying and traveling and still hadn't really ventured outside of the Wesleyan world But then in 2006, I got invited to go and study under a pastor in Maine for six months. And this pastor, although was a Wesleyan, he by no means, and that church by no means, really fit the bill. Very similar to what we are. You know, I've had many people come to King's Church and say, this doesn't feel like a Wesleyan church or any other church that I've ever been to. And and that I actually, it goes even back to 2006 when I spent time, 2005, 2006, in Maine, where I was introduced to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was introduced to the Holy Spirit. I was introduced to to some good Baptists that were on staff that loved Jesus. Wow. 
I was introduced to some Pentecostals that were on staff that loved Jesus. And this church, I got this glimpse of this church that really was just about Jesus and experiencing him. And really some of the things that were such big separators in my mind, big walls in my mind, seemed like little, kind of a small deal to them. And then I began my ministry. And in 2010, God began to just destroy my walls and my assumptions about the church and who we are. Uh, A gentleman, a friend of mine named Kirk moved to St. John. God called him here as a missionary, a prayer missionary, who's still here today. He runs Eastgate House of Prayer. And he came to King's Church and took a janitor job and literally swept and prayed through our valley campus for a couple of years. And in that time, I began to to talk to him, and God began to speak to me through this guy who, I mean, came from a totally different Christian stream and again started kind of bursting my paradigm and my assumptions, and I began to experience God in a new way. And then in 2012, all heaven broke loose, and God began something new in my life and in the life of our church through a, a cataclysmic, difficult moment that often divides churches to the point where they die. God brought this new work in us and again began to tear down walls of division in my mind. I, I, I remember three weeks into me being the interim pastor here. We'd lost three staff in three weeks. The church was reeling, and I had a gentleman named Gary. He was the leader of the Vineyard Church of Canada. Email me, and he said, I had a dream, and God told me to offer you my retreat center and to bless you and your leadership. Uh, You need to come. And we came, and there, and then he, he and his wife prophesied over us, and I'll never forget that moment of just realizing Wow, God has great people everywhere. This is amazing. And then God just began to supercharge my journey in 2013. I remember another guy called me out of the blue, a guy from Frederick, and he said, hey, Brent, you don't know me? I had a dream about you. I'm supposed to buy a plane ticket and send you to Florida to go to this conference. And so I was like, wow, when I get a random call of a random dream to go to a random conference, sure, I'm in. So I went, and again, again, just... This is hyper-charismatic conference I was at that I would have never have gone to. And 10 years prior, I probably would have sat there in judgment. And yet the Lord just was eroding the walls that I had in my mind. And then our church began to grow. And in 2014, Kevin Myers at 12 Stone reached out to me and offered me a mentorship journey that still continues to this day. And I'll never forget, though, my assumption going down there. Our church had experienced renewal and we were seeing growth and things were great, especially in the area of what the Holy Spirit was doing. And I literally remember how having the thought on the plane going to Atlanta. I'm excited to go learn from them. I'm sure they're going to be able to teach me some things about leading a church that's growing fast, but I doubt they can teach me a whole lot about loving Jesus and the the Holy Spirit because a huge church can't have the Holy Spirit like that. I had that assumption. And again, I went down there and I found these passionate people who loved Jesus, who the Spirit of God was at work just on a much larger scale. And again, God blowing my paradigm over and over. And then I started traveling the world and finding brothers and sisters in Haiti and in Guatemala who grew up with different skin colors and in different economic status. And yet the moment we speak Jesus, here we are, brother and sister. It's incredible. And then in 2016, I get invited to go to these conferences put on by the Reformed camp of the church. I mean, these are the Bible thumpers of the Bible thumpers, y'all. Like, they're they're hardcore Calvinists. I don't even know why they invited me, but here I am. And I'm finding that these guys who I thought wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if he knocked them over with a truck, they love the Lord. 
And the presence of God was with them. And over and over and over again, God began to break down my walls and my assumptions. And then I remember 2017, 2018, getting invited to go and become acquainted and partnered up with the people of Alpha who are Anglicans, who are Catholic-friendly. And again, I realized I'm starting to meet people from all over the world, from different backgrounds and denominations and countries, but who are unified under the name of Jesus. And you know what I've realized over the last decade or so? There is one kingdom, and there is one church, and there is one baptism, and there is one spirit, and there is one Lord, and his name is Jesus, and the spirit of God is working, and the kingdom of God is flowing in the direction of oneness. The kingdom right now is actively pushing us, King's Church, together with other churches because we're not different churches, we're one. And the kingdom of God and the spirit of God right now is actively pushing you toward other brothers and sisters to become more one. That's the flow of the kingdom. The spirit of God and the kingdom are ever flowing and moving in the direction of unity. The father, the son, and the spirit are one community and they have brought us into that oneness. They draw us into oneness. It's gravity in the kingdom. I have learned that life, the kingdom life flows through unity and destruction comes through division. I've discovered over the last several years that oneness is very, very difficult. Where you have people involved, oneness is very hard, but it brings life. Division is easy, but it reaps destruction. And I've seen this over and over and over again. The kingdom life flows through oneness. It is literally, unity is a matter of life and death. We are in a series we are calling As For Me and My House, a season where we are looking at this word that Joshua gave the children of Israel in a time of transition. We are right now recognizing our churches in a time of transition, not just our church, but the church. We are in unprecedented, uncharted waters, and we are taking the wisdom of Joshua, who, who called the people of Israel together when they were kind of in this in-between place. And he says, now is not the time to be half-hearted or loose about what you believe. Now is the time to draw clear convictions and clear lines. And so he says, y'all choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we are in a prolonged season of clarifying and laying out who this day we are going to serve and what it means in 2021 here in Atlantic Canada, in Halifax and in Charlottetown and in New Brunswick. We are asking the question, what does it look like to serve the Lord Jesus in our day? And we've been breaking it down week by week, establishing our priorities and putting down our roots on the foundation. And we learned first and foremost that the life of the kingdom is a matter of worship. Who will you serve? And we said, as for me and my house, we will serve King, yeah, King Jesus. And then we realized, second, that it's a, it's a matter not just of, of, of believing that he's king, but it's, it's actually living our lives in the trajectory that he points us to. And he's actually set us on mission to actually take the kingdom all over the world, heart by heart, family by family, community by community, we'll be on mission. And today I want to talk to you about unity. Here's what I've discovered about the enemy. The Bible tells us that you have an enemy, a spiritual enemy. There are forces in this world that are seeking your destruction. The devil, the Bible says, prowls around like a roaring lying, seeking, seeking whom he may devour. 
And he always tries to bring our destruction, first and foremost, by distorting the truth, by twisting the truth and bringing lies between us and the knowledge of God. But if he can't distort the truth, he moves on then to distract the church. And we talked about that last week. But where I see the most foul attempts of the enemy at play in the church isn't just through the distortion of truth or the distraction of mission, but the division of God's people. The enemy seeks to bring division in the church, and division is the, where division leads to destruction. If we could hop in the Wayback Machine today, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 3. You don't need to actually press that. I'm just joking, the, uh, the Wayback. We did it last week. But uh, Genesis chapter 3 actually shows us the path of sin. And we learned last week that, that sin actually comes through what? Through disorder. It's through the creation, worship, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Every form of sin is a form of wrong worship and disorder. And then we learn, though, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, you see that, that that sin, that sin, the disorder of worship is actually rooted in pride. And what happens is right after, and if we could do a study, we would, but we don't have time, we've got too much to cover. But Genesis chapter 3, sin happens, and Adam and Eve are, are confronted by God, and God says to them, what have you done? And the response, the answer from, God, from Adam and Eve isn't, uh, we're sorry, Lord. Adam goes, the woman you put me here with? her fault. Do you see immediately in Genesis that the distortion of the truth, did God really say? The elevation of ourselves, pride, leads to, to sin, which immediately leads to division. And you see that start to escalate. You see in chapter four, you see Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. What happened to them? Do you remember Cain did what? Cain killed his brother. Division. Sin divides. And then if you start to keep flipping the pages, you see the escalation of division, human to human division. This family that God created is now turned against itself and you see tribes form and you see these, these battle lines kind of start to ensue and these power struggles happen. And this is what the Bible tells us, that sin actually is caused by pride and disorder of worship, and it ultimately leads to division, which leads to destruction. James said it like this, James chapter 4. James said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? If you are quarreling and fighting with someone, here's what you need to know. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you take. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask God, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You're selfish, he's saying. It's your pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Sin divides. Sin divides us. We live in probably the most divisive time in human history. And I don't say that lightly. And I know everybody's got recency bias. And, you know, you think of maybe the, the time of World War II when the whole world was fighting against each other. But why I think this is the most divisive time in human history is because, you know, ever since sin entered the world, you had nations fighting against nations. That's not new. It's just taken different forms over the years. But you've seen this escalation of not just the clash of nations, but now within those nations, there's now divisions of isms and ideologies. Have you noticed? You've got socialism battling against capitalism and fascism and anarchism, more divisions. 
And then within those ideologies, you have different communities and tribes that form. The conservatives and the liberals, the red, the blue, the left, the right, the libertarian, the green, the sectarian. They, you start to see more divisions. And now we live in a time, though, that is absolutely tailor-made around personal autonomy, authority, and identity. And we no longer have, you know, nations, a hundred and what-odd nations, or however many there are in the world, and maybe these ideologies. But now you have eight billion little nations... Eight billion little kingdoms that are all trying to figure out how to get along in the world. And we now live in a time that is absolutely being torn up by division. And it keeps escalating. Like, I don't know, this isn't a, a, state on sec, a statement on sexuality at all. This is just an observation. Have you noticed in the last decade or so, you know, the, uh, the, L, the LGBTQ community went from the L and the G when I was a kid to LGBTQ Two plus I L M N O P Q R S T U V. It just keeps adding. And I'm not making a statement about sexuality here. I'm making a statement out the division just reaps more divisions. That's how it works. Division is always subtra subtraction, it's always division. And now we are in a time where critical theory which is the ultimate destructive force of our day. I, I'm, I'm convinced of it. The enemy is using it. It's a spirit, by the way. You need to look into this. Do you know that the Bible actually says Satan, the, the, the Greek word for Satan uh, is accuser and it's also critic. There is a spirit at work right now. Have you heard of cancel culture? We live in a time that is so divided that there's actually social capital to be gained by calling out anyone else who crosses or steps on your determined lines of division. You see, the reality of our day is that division is leading to more division. Divisions are leading to more division that's ultimately reaping destruction. Have you looked around your world lately? And then to top it all off with all of the destruction, all of the economic and political and racial divides that are happening in our day, you, you throw the grenade of a global pandemic in there and you just get this hot mess that we're living in right now. And I mean, think about what's happened since we've had to lock down and shut down. We have entrenched ourselves in our own positions. And I, have you noticed lately? I mean, I, I made the mistake of lobbing the odd statement out there on, on social media in the last few weeks. And I, I made one statement about just wanting some government transparency and communication. I wasn't making a statement about COVID, whether it's safe or not or any, anything. And you wouldn't have believed the feedback I got from people who clearly did not get my point. Like, you're saying, yeah, man, go. COVID's a conspiracy. I'm like, nope, not saying that. And then I had people on the other side saying, you're putting us all at risk. You're a public leader. You shouldn't be saying these things because now everyone's going to go and think they shouldn't wear masks. I wasn't saying any of those things. But people are so entrenched in their perspective, they're now reading things into the, into, into the dialogue and the conversation that aren't even there. We are in a time of hyper-division and criticism. And then the Telegraph Journal decided to print some ridiculous argument of a fat Brent picture on the front page. <laughs> like, let's start with the picture. That was 40 pounds ago. I had my, my childhood best friend message me and just eviscerate me. Uh, 
because he read that and just said, you, this is why I don't follow you. You're not compassionate. You just kicked, you kicked your friend off to the curb and you're, you're paying your youth pastor six figures, which y'all, please, you can stop sending your youth pastor resumes to me. We do not pay you six figures. But I've just been so taken by how divided things are which makes me very excited for the gospel because we have the message of real reconciliation. Like Jesus, the gospel, he is the singularity. He is the one unifying point that supersedes your economic background, your racial background, how much money you have or don't have, what you've done or what you've not done, your friends or your not friends. He supersedes your, your sexuality. He supersedes your, your job. He is the one person, the, one, the gospel is the one piece of news that can actually unify the world and bring real life. Like what a time for the church. Like Jesus even said it, he said before he died, look what he said, this is at the beginning of his prayer. He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, sin divides, but Jesus unites. Jesus brings us together. Grace unifies. There is one name there is one name by which men can be saved. There is one name that frees us. There's one name that is truth. There's one name that is life. There's one name that brings hope. There's one name that brings freedom. There's one name that brings forgiveness. There's one name that brings real, true justice. There's one name that releases mercy. There's one name that will govern with, with a kingdom that will never end. And that name is not Trump. That name is not Trudeau. That name is not Biden. That name is not LeBron. James. The name is not progress. The name is not science. His name is Jesus. It's the one name that unifies us. I want to make a call to us today that we have gotten in this day, the church has got to be one. And this is a message, and if you're a church leader or you're from another church watching, we know there's lots of people that do that. Like, this is a call. This is the time where God is, the kingdom, I believe, is squeezing his church into a corner where we are going to have to learn how to unify and be one and be the answer to the prayer of Jesus in our day. The church has had a history of division. You know this. I mean, if you've been part of a local church, you've experienced it, but it goes way deeper than just us in our time. I mean, you go back to the early church, half of these letters that Paul wrote were like, hey guys, let's get back on track. We're one in Christ. We're neither Greek nor Gentile. We're just Christian. But then about a thousand years in, there was a major fracture in the church. There's a schism where East was divided with West. This is where you get the Eastern Orthodox Church. And then at the year 1500, about 1547, Martin Luther, you ever hear of the Great Reformation? Martin Luther nails the 95 Thesis or to, to, the, to, the, to the door, and he, and, he, and he just basically starts a new separation from the Catholic Church, and this is where the Protestant Church was formed. And although I believe that God has done great things through the Protestant Church, you've got to understand something. When something is born in protest, it just keeps reaping protest. And now there aren't just three and four different church denominations, there are some 30,000 Christian denominations on planet earth. 30,000 different flags. 
all under the name of Jesus. Sounds a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? But to top it off, today is worse than ever because now critical theory and individualism is actually leaking into the church to a point where we no longer even associate with the denominations. We no longer associate with even a local church. It's me and my personal faith. And the moment that my personal faith doesn't fit to how this community is, I'm going to go elsewhere. I'm just going to do it myself. And now we live in a time of me church and my church where there's no authority, there's no pastoral authority. The authority of the word is edit how you like, make it say what you want, you do you. And it's leaving the church in a dissembled mess. But I believe, and this is what I want to just declare just prophetically, I believe that every 500 years, if you look at the church history, there's been a major move happen. And I am believing for and contending that 500 years from now, they will look back at 20, at the year 2000 and that 50 year window or whatever it is as the great unification. Where the world changed into this global network where we're no longer divided by geography, are we? What a time for the church to actually rise up under the name of Jesus, to be one. As for me and my house, we will be one. We will be one under the king's authority. We will be one full of grace. Amen? Amen. It's a whosoever will and full of truth. Oneness does not come at the cost of truth. Can I just say that? That's why it's hard work. Oneness does not come at the cost of truth, but by God's grace, in the fear of the Lord, I believe that God can bring us together in such a way where we stand on this truth like never before and we let the word say what the word says and we yield to it. And yet there is grace for all to allow the goodness and grace and mercy and truth of Jesus to wash and renew and transform. This is the time for us to be one. I have three quick reasons why we need to come together as one. And here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write these down. As for me and my house, we will be one first and foremost because Jesus has declared us as one. He said it. He said it in John 17. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be, say it out loud. They're going to be like me, one. They're going to be like us. We are one and they're going to be one. I in them and you in me, complete unity. Jesus has declared it's going to be. And, and here's what I've learned. Wrestling with God, you lose. Like if he said it, it's going to happen. And it's impossible to push back the tide. This is the way the kingdom is going. He is pushing us into oneness. It's inevitable. But not only that, but there's real incentive. It's not that just that God wants to force us into oneness. Life is found in oneness. He declared it, which means it's good. This isn't something he wants us to do kicking and screaming. It's good that we become one because here's what happens. He says, I have given them the glory. The glory of God is connected to our oneness. That when the church becomes one, the glory of God comes. Always. 
And if you look, if we could study through the Old Testament, you could look at like when, when the people of God were liberated from Egypt, God gave them a place to establish his glory. It was the tabernacle, you remember? And God gave Moses specific instructions and said, you're going to put this here and that there. Here's the alignment. And this is the place my glory will dwell. And then you fast forward and in the time of David, his son Solomon, he builds this unbelievable temple where the glory of God will dwell. And again, there's just clear uh, delineation and designations, and this goes here, and that goes here, and here's how we're going to establish this. And we see in 2 Chronicles 7 that God's glory comes. The fire of God came upon that unified, designated space, okay? And then fast forward to the time of Jesus, and Jesus is sitting outside the temple, and he says, destroy this temple. In fact, I'm going to destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days, And he's talking about how God now was moving from having a building as his dwelling place. This is a modified Jedi temple, yes. (laughs) But no longer was it going to be a building of bricks and mortar and gold and wood, but it was now going to be a building of people. That living stones who through faith in Jesus would be brought together, that the fire of God would actually, the glory of God would actually descend upon it. And this is what you see in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were what? All what? Oh. They were together in what? One place. Unity. And suddenly the sound of a rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of, oh, there's that fire, glory. Fire that separated and came and rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the fire of God, you need to hear this. The glory of God, the fire of God is drawn towards unity. How many of you would say the most powerful moments of my life in faith have actually been with someone else? It's because the glory is drawn to unity. This is why Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered, I'll be there in your midst. It's not that God can't speak to you through nature or on a worship walk or whatever it is, but the times where the glory shows up and you know that weight is there, it's in the context of the temple. Living stones brought together. We have to fight as a local church to be more one than ever because when we are one, the glory of God dwells in oneness. I was reminded of this this week when uh, at our board meeting, we had a board meeting last Monday night and Pastor Andy was giving an update on this year's One Conference, which is gonna be uh, online this year. But someone asked the question, hey, how do we pay for this? And I just was reminded of how One Conference came to be. It's a It's a interdenominational conference under the name of Jesus that we started putting on uh, four or five years ago. And I originally had the vision of that in 2015 in a giant conference center that I was speaking at in Indianapolis thinking, man, it'd be amazing to have a room like this where there are several thousand kids get to worship Jesus. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're not going to be able to do it just as your, your local church. You're going to have to actually partner the regional church. And so I remember talking to Pastor Andy, and then we went and we talked to those crazy Baptists. We said, what if, what if we merged our large youth conferences? And then what if we went out and we just networked with all the people that would just even give us the time of day? And we saw God give birth in the region to, to the vision of several thousand students in Moncton worshiping Jesus. And I'll tell you what, the glory that was in that room that first time was like, 
It was unbelievable. And I learned that God's glory is drawn to unity. He's drawn to unity. And so we sat at the board meeting. We've never had trouble paying for this. Just God just sends money. And he sends partnership. Why? Because he has a vested interest in the unification of the church. If we unify, God's glory will come. His, his provision will be supplied. That's what happens. God's fire, his power, his provision, his presence flows toward unity. And I believe that's why God has blessed us so far as a church. It's because God has brought people into this family, this local family, from all over the world, different backgrounds. Some of you came from an atheistic background, you met Jesus. Some of you came from a Pentecostal, Catholic, Anglican, all kinds of different backgrounds. And we don't parade our divisions around here. We just really do a, a, our absolute best to say we're a Jesus church. And that's not to downplay our denominational connection. It's to upplay that the banner over us is Jesus it's not Brent Ingersoll, it's not Wesleyan Church, it's not King's Church, it's just, just Jesus. He's the banner. He's declared it. Number two, as for me and my house, we will be one because Jesus has designed it. He designed it this way. Christianity is not a me faith. Do you know that? It's not a me faith. It's a we faith. You can't even pray the Lord's prayer alone. Have you thought about it? My father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give me today my daily bread. That's not what Jesus said, did he? He said, our father, give us this day. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's an us prayer. The kingdom is an us reality. It's oneness. The kingdom life throws, flows through unity. And Jesus said it. Look what he said, John 17. His desire is that they may be brought to complete unity. God is wanting to bring us together. Peter said we are living stones being built together to form the dwelling, the glory of God. And no one stone is all that important. Eh? Eh? No one stone is all that important. But we've made such a mess of the church in the past. We said, oh, I want a microphone. I want a platform. It doesn't matter. The glory isn't where you are positioned in the temple. The glory's in here. When we come together, it doesn't matter what position you have. God's desire is that when we come together, we become one. And in that one, we experience the fullness of God. You can't experience God's glory without me. And I can't experience him fully without you. We need each other. God's designed it that way. This is why, this is why Paul in, in Ephesians 4, I love this text. This is one that the church, we should read over our church on a yearly basis. There. Be completely humble and gentle. <laughs> okay. That's the call. Be patient. This just feels so countercultural, doesn't it? Like I can't even read these and think about the world that we live in right now, but what a time for the church. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love, the opposite of cancel culture. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Give yourself to unity. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over and all and through all and in all, but to each one of us is given a grace. 
Christ has apportioned it to us. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service. That's what I'm doing right now. So that the body of Christ may be built up. We may be assembled, brought together in unity. And here's the goal. Here's the vision. This is incredible. Like, just let this statement hit you. Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, this is God's design, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That through the hard work of unity, we can actually be made fully mature into the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Like you and I can be like Jesus. Full of peace, full of power, full of truth, full of mercy, full of grace, full of compassion, full of joy. You can be full of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth, God's community never comes at the expense of truth. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That is the vision. Did you catch it? Be humble, bear with one another, work toward the bond of peace. Realize there's one body. We are one temple. There's one body. And that you've been given a grace to actually help be a part of it. How incredible is that? You get to be part of the glorious dwelling of God on the earth. That is the glory. That is the glory. That's why, that's why David said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, I'd rather be a doormat in the house of my God than, the, than, than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Like, think of who this is, David, like, the greatest king of Israel, war, war hero, rich beyond measure. He had all of the things that we could attain to, and he says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the temple because that's where the real glory is. That's where the real glory is. You see, you and I were designed for each other. What gets us tripped up is when we see ourselves kind of in our own little world. You know what? When you are a part of the, when you are apart from the church, you're sharp and crooked and you hurt to step on. (laughs) But when you are brought into alignment, you actually have a purpose and a placement. You actually bring strength to those around you. See, I can't can't experience the fullness of Christ without you in your place and me in my place. That's how it's designed to work. We need each other to complete each other. I love that C.S. Lewis uh, in in, uh, Grief Observed, he talks about when he lost his friend. He said, I'll never hear my other friend laugh at a joke the way that the friend who passed could make him laugh. He said, like, we all lost a piece of ourselves when he died. Because we're designed for each other. We strengthen and sharpen each other. The Bible says that like iron sharpens iron. I know this is tough to hear, but you need my edges and I need your edges. 
We need our limitations and we need each other's giftedness. I need you to be strong in the area that I'm weak and I need to be strong in the area that you're weak. God made us to complement one another in the fullness. None of us are Jesus in and of ourselves. But as we come together, God's glory dwells and we take up the likeness of Christ and we meet one another's needs. Acts 2 says that each gave as they had need and everyone's needs were met. So God made some of you rich. Not so you could sit on your wealth, but so you could be a strength to the body and a blessing to the world. God made some of you talented. Not so you could go on American Idol. Legit. But so that you could be a strength to the body and a blessing to the world. Some of, some, God made some of you intelligent. God made some of you full of, the, full of discernment. God gave some of you the gift of prophecy. God gave some of you the gift of business and leadership. All of those gifts he's given to each of grace, he's given so that you can be a strength to the body and a blessing to the world. That's it. And that is the most glorious thing. It doesn't matter if you're the janitor, if you do it in the name of Jesus. In God's kingdom, God is no more impressed by what I'm doing right now than by the, the, the guys that came in the other day and set these chairs up. The glory is not that I'm on a stage. The glory is that when we assemble together, each in our own parts, God's presence dwells. Whatever you do, do it under the glory of God. That's what gives it value. How do we do this? I'm almost done. I'm gonna, in fact, Sandra, keyboards, if you wanna come back to just give the international sign that I'm landing the plane, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but what's this look like? Before, before I land on this, what does it look like really quick? Well, it's hard. Let me just be brutally honest. Unity and oneness is hard. It's actually miraculous. It's something that only the Spirit of God can do to bring that kind of unity. It's costly. It's unbelievably hard because we always comes at the expense of me. Like for us to be better always costs me something. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? It looks like personal humi humility. This was established in the fear of the Lord. Has anybody ever had a grievance with somebody? Or maybe like, I, I can think of times where maybe even in my own friendships or with my, with my wife and my marriage, like times where maybe we were fighting and then we came to church and the glory of God just showed up and we forgot what we were fighting about. See, in humility before the fear of the Lord, he can erode so much stuff that the enemy uses to divide us. Like, if we'll just let God be God. If you let God be God and I let God be God, he absolutely can overwhelm so many stupid little earthly things that get set up between us. We get grounded in faith before a holy, powerful God. Humility and worship is the key. And then it flows through honoring one another. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Outdo one another with honor, Paul says. And then it comes through serving one another with the gifts. We've actually, like, I, Jesus said, like, 
by this the world will know that you are mine, how you love one another. I've heard it preached before that our love is what tells the world, you know, where Jesus is. But it's actually our love for each other. That God actually wants this community to be so attractive and so transcendent. He's designed it that if, if the world could see how those people love each other, they'll be drawn to it. It's gravitational because the kingdom moves toward unity. Jesus said, then when they're one, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When they become one, when the church becomes one, the world will be one. W-O-N. Like when we unify, the world will be one. Oneness, oneness is our destiny. That's, that's where God is taking this. Oneness, let's go back. There's, Jesus has destined us as one. Have you read the end of the Bible lately? You should, you should do it often. Especially when you start to see all the factions and fractures and divisions of the world today. When you look and you see, you know, BLM and Blue Lives Matter and you see the politics and, you know, anti-maskers and maskers and anti-vaxxers and vaxxers and black and white and red and brown and rich and poor and Canadian and, and American. And you see all the divisions and then you read the end in, in, in Revelation 21, it says, I saw every people. Revelation 7 says, I saw, I saw a great multitude surrounding the Lamb, clothed in white in righteousness, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And then in Revelation 21, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth come together as one, and God will be with them, and he will be their God, and they will be his people. And it doesn't qualify who they are other than they're just the people of the Lamb. It doesn't say, oh, there's the Baptists, and there's the Wesleyans, and there's King's Church. It doesn't matter, because all the other flags come down, and the name of Jesus is the only banner that will be risen and will stay risen forever and ever and ever. And so our job as the church is to give our lives to the glorification of Jesus, to see his banner raised. I had a conversation uh, with a church pastor and the vice chairman talking about mergers of the church. I said to them, and I felt the weight of glory on, and I said, hey, we're all working toward mergers. There will come a moment where King's Church is asked to lay down its banner in sacrifice for the banner of Christ. We are all working toward that vision where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, just the people of God redeemed by, the God, by God, no mention of skin color, no mention of nationality, no mention of family names, no mention of social status, no mention of political leanings, how you voted. We're not gonna go back in time in Revelation 21. No cancel cultures looking at what you tweeted back in 2016. There's no mention of that. There's no denominations. There's, there's, there's no doctrinal leanings. There's no accomplishments or failures. No mention of it, just the Lord and his people. That's the end in which we are destined toward. We are working toward it. I believe we are in a time right now where God is bringing his church together. Imagine, imagine the sight in the world where there's a people who actually, because they have been set free from fear, bought by the blood of the lamb, 
transformed into his image. Imagine the sight on the earth if people could see a community that really were one, that really loved one another, that sacrificed for one another. I think revival will sweep out. Revival will absolutely take this world over as the church becomes increasingly one. Would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray. I wanna ask you a couple questions. Just a few questions before you go. I'm gonna pray and dismiss you. Three questions. Me or we, have you been approaching your discipleship from an individualistic perspective? When you think about your, your faith, are you following Jesus as me or we? Repent of pride, individualism or tribalism and receive God's grace. Reconciliation, is there anyone you are at odds with? Is it because you have not sought reconciliation? You can't control what other people do, but as much as it depends on you, seek peace with other people. Is it because you are unwilling to forgive or unwilling to submit to the truth of the word? Repent, you are robbing yourself. And this is a question for us, King's Church, or you, maybe you need to decide if you're part of this. Are you a part of this church or not? Are you aimed at giving yourself to her? Commit yourself into a Christian community. Look, if this isn't for you, it's time to get out because God is calling us deeper together, amen? I feel that. He's calling us deeper together to go farther, to go deeper, deeper into unity, deeper into grace, deeper into truth. This is the season that we're in. And so I wanna pray right now that God's grace would wash over us and would absolutely push us toward oneness. Can we do that? So Father, thank you for your word today. It just feels holy, it feels sacred. I feel the gentle, firm nature of your spirit today. God, forgive us for the times that we've operated in selfish pride that has brought sin and destruction into our lives and the lives of others. Forgive us as a church for times where we've been myopic in our vision and we've decided that really we only care about King's Church. Lord, there's only one church and it's your church, Jesus, and we want to yield everything about this local church at your feet for the establishment of your kingdom and the glory of your name. And we say, Lord, if it means taking down a banner, we'll do it. So Father, forgive us as a community for times we've, we've not looked at our brothers and sisters around the world as brothers and sisters, or maybe even looked in competition. Forgive us, draw us into oneness. And Lord, I pray in this next season, would you teach us what it looks like to be a kingdom community? And as we do, would your glory dwell here like never before as your glory is drawn to oneness? Father, for the one who's here today who has an issue with another brother or sister, I pray that the words of you, Jesus, where you said, if one of you has a, has a grievance or someone has an issue and you haven't sought reconciliation, leave the altar and go do it. And so, Lord, I pray right now for the one who might have to, to reach out to a friend, a brother, a family member. God, give them grace and let them realize that your goodness and power and kingdom is drawn towards reconciliation and oneness that they would experience life through this obedience. Father, we believe, Jesus, you prayed this. We believe it will happen. And God, we set ourselves on the path to live in alignment. As for me and my house, we will be one. And all God's people said, amen, amen.